Welcome to the Pageantry Podcast. In today's very special, and I mean very special, Pageantry Podcast guest, you know her from The Real Story with Gretchen Carlson on Fox News and Miss America 1989, Gretchen Carlson. Gretchen, thank you for calling in today. I am so pleased to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've been so excited. I told everybody, I get to turn the tables on Gretchen Carlson and interview her. So- <laughs> <laughs> I know. Normally, it's me every single day, you know, interviewing others. But I have been in the other position from time to time, too. You know, thanks in part to winning Miss America, which gave me just amazing opportunities in life to get all this experience. And, you know, I hearken back to it every day, Carl. I really do. And all the experiences that I had. And they just prepared me for life. Well, excellent. You know, you have a new book coming out soon, Getting Real. What was the impetus behind your decision to write the book? Well, you know, I have been thinking about doing this for, for quite some time. And I really wanted to tell my story for, for two reasons. First and foremost, to give credit to my wonderful upbringing in the state of Minnesota and to my family and to the values that they imparted on me. I just am so blessed to still have my parents with me in my life. And I just wanted to tell that part of the story. And secondly, because I want to inspire other people to go for their dreams. Look, Carl, if I can do what I've done in my life with different accomplishments, then that's inspiration for anyone else because I've had a lot of pitfalls along the way. I have worked my full head off to get to any position, whether it was the pageant or in my career now in television news. And I I just want to share those inspiring stories, many of which have never been told before, Mm -hmm. and encourage young women and young men, and even older women and older men, to never give up Mm -hmm. and to just continue to go for their dreams. Do you consider this an inspirational or even a self-help guide? Both. You know, I talk a lot about parenting, too, because... You know, I'm 40-something-something, <laughs> and I have two children. I'm, I've been blessed to have a, a boy and a girl, and, you know, I, I share a lot of my parenting advice. I, I tend to hearken back to the old-fashioned values that I had with, with my parents, and I tend to be a disciplinarian, and, and so, you know, I, it, the book is wide-reaching. It, it starts all the way with my upbringing in Minnesota and being a really serious classical violinist, how that discipline really propelled me into life and really got me into the Miss America organization because, as you know, so much a part of Miss America is the talent category. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the book you know, spans through my life and then comes into my TV career. But then it talks a lot about what it is for me to be a parent. And also the final chapter is dedicated to how important I feel it is to give back in our society. Mm-hmm. And those are lessons that I'm teaching my kids. Excellent. Obviously, the Miss America title is iconic. It's a brand. And upon joining Fox News, you write about hitting the bimbo trifecta. Please enlighten us on that. <laughs> well, the bimbo trifecta is, number one, having blonde hair. And yes, it is real. <laughs> I really have blonde hair. Uh, number two, being a former Miss America. And number three, working at Fox News. And there you have it, the bimbo trifecta. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by it, ton in cheek, is that... Throughout my life, uh, I've had a lot of dumb blonde jokes. because They they increased after I became Miss America. And, of course, working at Fox News, I have plenty of detractors. My story about all this is that, you know, look, it's not to focus on the detractors. It's not to focus on the negativity. It's to build tough skin and to continue picking yourself up and continuing to achieve your goals on a daily basis. And I, I still receive tons of emails and there's tons of blogs out there that criticize me on a daily basis. Look, if I, if I looked at all that every single day, I, there'd be no reason to get up every morning. 
the point is that I really believe that we still have an issue in our society about an attractive, smart woman. There, there's something wrong and stereotypical in our society where somehow people don't think that can still exist. And, and you know, it goes into play with the Miss America pageant too, Carl. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all these brilliant women standing up there, and you still have so many people who want to say negative things about the program. And I just don't get mm-hmm. it. And, of course, and this is a wonderful segue, you are a tremendous success and a predominantly especially early on, male-dominated field. Talk to us about the difficulties in shattering the proverbial glass ceiling. Yeah, you know, in my first job in Virginia, I had an amazing boss who happened to be a female news director, and she said to me one day, you know what, I'm going to make you the political reporter today. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because back then, this is 25 years ago, most of the people covering the governor on a daily basis were men, just to be honest. And she really put me in a in a great position, but also a tough position, and it was sort of a sink or swim position. And I credit throughout my book a lot of bosses in my life, both men and women, who have put me in great positions and been great mentors and have given me the ability to break the glass ceiling. But I have to tell you this. Every single time I was moving to a new job, I learned the pattern. I learned that for a couple of weeks before I arrived, the talk amongst the newsroom would be, oh, here we go, a bimbo, former Miss America coming into work. And as sad as that is, I learned how to overcome that by knowing that when I stepped foot in that door, I was going to have to work harder than anyone else. And my goal was to become the best possible reporter or anchor that that entire station had. And over time, I always go back to advice my dad gave me. No matter how hard you work, Gretchen, you're never going to get everyone to love you. And that was a lot coming from my dad because everyone does love my dad. And, you know, it's so simplistic, but it's so true because even when I went into those newsrooms and worked as hard as I possibly could, I didn't change everyone's mind, but I changed the majority. And that's yet another lesson about never giving up even when you face stereotypes. You know, and after I believe it's eight years on Fox and Friends, you now host your own show. Again, The Real Story with Gretchen Carlson. Is this a vindication of your hard work and determination? Oh, well, well, thank you for saying that. You know, I loved doing Fox and Friends, but I do have to tell you that I don't have to set three alarms at 3.30 a.m. anymore. <laughs> and also, you know, my kids were just getting to this age where they really needed me at night and in the morning. And it just came at the perfect time. As far as my career goes, it was a wonderful career move to be able to do my own show and quite frankly, it's good for my marriage, too. You know, my, my husband and I, after after the first night on my new show, I said, oh, my gosh, I actually get to sit on the family room couch with you and watch a little TV tonight. <laughs> and then after a couple of weeks of that, he was like, hmm. <laughs> he was enjoying that solo time that he had had at night before for all those years. But it really has been a blessing for our family, uh, for my kids and for just our marriage in general to have a little bit better of a schedule. And professionally, it's just been a great move uh, upwards and onwards as well. You know, I, I can hear him on the couch now. I just quit hogging the remote. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, Carl, I love sports, too. So we, we tend to not disagree on too much of the programming. I could sit and watch an entire golf tournament. So, you know, that's one of the reasons he and I actually hooked up in the beginning, because he's in the sports business. And the first time that we were talking on the phone, he goes, do you like sports? And I was like, I love sports. And he's like, when can we go out? <laughs> so we, we came into this relationship, honestly. And uh, so no fighting on the remote, usually. You know, and again, your career, we've, we've watched you for years. Has there been moments in your career in which you felt like you had failed? How'd you handle it? 
Yeah, failure leading to success is a big theme in the book. Uh, first of all, uh, I was a chubby kid, and so, you know, overcoming that to become Miss America would be what I would call success, even though when I shared that story in my first press conference and said that my brothers used to call me Blimpo, I got to the airport to start my Miss America year, and the Star and the Inquirer, and I believe another rag magazine at the time, the headline with my picture said, Blimpo becomes Miss America. So that was a lesson learned to not always be quite so honest. But, you know, listen, failures, you need to have failures in life to understand success. One of my greatest failures professionally was that I was fired. I was fired from my job one week after I got married when I lived in Cleveland, Ohio. And the manager at the station told me that I would be just fine now because I was married, which I had a big problem with because, you know, I was in my 30s and I obviously worked hard throughout my whole life. And it was it was a huge, huge, you know, sad time in my life, probably the toughest thing I've gone through. Didn't have a job for a year newly married, and I knew to get another job, I'd have to leave the town in which my husband lived. And eventually I got a job in Dallas, Texas, and I did move there, and it was a great position, but my husband and I had to commute for the second year of our marriage. So, you know, these are not, it's not like everything's just been completely easy for me along the way. Going back to even the early training through Miss America, and, and perceptions of the bimbo, the blanjos, et cetera. You actually write about being sexually harassed as Miss America early on. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel it's important to speak out about this now? Well, because I think, unfortunately, it probably still exists. I'm hoping to a lesser degree as time moves on and as we evolve as a society. But I'm also sharing it because I want to be honest and open about the fact that maybe I should have spoken up at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I want to encourage other women, if they're going through this, to have the guts to be able to come forward. You know, it's it's a conundrum for women because I think you you think in your mind, well, if I say something, then that'll mean that I'll, you know, I'll lose my job. So I still think that that's problematic for women. But I remember just being horrified at these events that happened to me because my parents had raised me. My mom used to say to me every night when she said my prayers with me and put me to bed, she would say, you can be anything you want to be. And I have to be honest with you, I thought every mom said that to to every kid, and I believed it. And so when I got into the workforce or as Miss America, I I had no conception that women were treated differently than men because my mom had told me that we were all the same. And it was really heartbreaking for me to go through some of those situations because I just, I was stunned, you know. It wasn't that I was naive. It was that I had built myself confidence from the inside out and... It just came as shocking to me that that was still happening. You know, that's 25 years ago. I'm hoping that we've come a long way, but I'm not 100% sure. I concur. How important was your year of service as Miss America in shaping your views as a journalist? Well, I have to tell you that I use what I learned as Miss America every single day in my job. Uh, First and foremost, it's my violin performance because it's it's analogous when I used to go up on stage and now when I see the red light on the camera. It's almost this feeling of comfort, which sounds weird to some people because a lot of people would be scared to get up on stage or scared to go on live TV. But to me, it's very similar. So even though I don't really do my music anymore in my life, I use that discipline and that performance ability on a daily basis. Well, that carried over into Miss America. You know, I'll never forget that one of the first events I went to as Miss America, I was in Atlanta, and there were 2,000 people at this lunch. 
And I thought I was just there as Miss America. I didn't know I was doing anything else. The gentleman in charge came up to me at the end of the lunch, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, I just wanted to give you the five-minute warning for your keynote. And I said, excuse me? And he said, your keynote address? And I said, oh, try not to look flustered. I said, oh, yes, uh, and how long would you like me to speak? And he said, oh, about 45 minutes. <laughs> I took a cocktail napkin, went in the bathroom, wrote down some bullet points, and I had to go out there and do it. And listen, that is the story of being Miss America. First of all, I learned I always had to have three speeches with me at all times and ready to go. But talk about amazing training for life and what I do now on a daily basis. You know, it, I don't really get nervous for interviews. To be honest with you, the only time I'm that nervous is if it's somebody that I know really, really well, like my mom or something like that. Or me. Well, yeah, well, you know, it's just it's, it's when, when, when you know the people, I'm not nervous to interview the president of the United States, but when you know somebody, you know, really, really well, then I do feel a little bit nervous because I just want it to go really well. But the training that I had pre-Miss America and for sure as Miss America is so beneficial to what I do on a daily basis. I just, I can't stress it enough. And of course, Miss America is regarded as the largest provider of scholarships to women in the world, and as a Stanford and Oxford-educated woman, how important were those scholarships to you? Wow. They were 100% important. Let me tell you how proud I was after becoming Miss America and going back to Stanford to finish my degree, how proud I was to call my dad and say, Dad, you have four kids in college at the same time. I am so proud to be able to pay for the last two quarters of Stanford University with what the money I won from Miss America. And I still remember where I was when I placed that phone call. I'm sorry I get emotional about it still today because it was just so amazing that I had won that kind of scholarship money. Mm -hmm. And it speaks volumes about what this program does for young women. And I get upset about it and emotional because people don't credit the program enough for how many women that it's helping on an annual basis, even if you don't win Miss America. I mean, if you're competing in a local pageant, there are tons of women who will tell you that that was the only way that they could continue to get their education from the $500 they won at Miss Local Pageant, you know, or the $2,000 they won. It kept them going to get their education. And for me, it, you know, it just, it really has made an emotional impact on my life to be able to have paid for part of my education. What a testament. How do you respond to critics who say that the Miss America pageant sends the wrong message to young girls? <laughs> you know, I love that question. I get asked that question all the time. It's kind of one of those generic questions. And I guess we could become infuriated, but instead I just say, hey, what about all those reality TV shows that are on out there? Mm. We don't, you know, would you rather have your child growing up looking at the Kardashian kids? And tons of people are. Not saying that I've interviewed them a lot, not saying you shouldn't watch the show, but would you rather have your kids emulating all this kind of stuff we see on reality TV, or would you like to have your kids emulate the contestants in the Miss America pageant? And just for grins, I had the pageant two years ago do the average of the GPA of the Miss America contestants from each state at the pageant that year. And you want to know what it was? Please. It was 3.7. Wow. Now, on top of that, they're talented. And on top of that, they're, you know, they're in shape. And on top of that, they have a platform that they are going out and doing good in society. And if you follow these women later on in their lives, they are all doing something 
to make a difference. And so that's an, you know, that's an easy way to answer the question. Do you want your kids to emulate some of the trash we see on TV? Or would you like them to emulate these contestants? And I think by a landslide, it's the contestants. And that 3.7 does not include underwater basket waving, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not on my resume either. (laughs) You know, really, in our industry, obviously there's a lot of criticism. And bullying is a major platform for many, especially in this day of social media. In your book, Getting Real, you describe all the mean tweets. You touched upon it briefly before. What's your reaction been to the constant criticism you receive, especially on social media? Yeah, you know, um, I do sometimes read mean tweets on my show, and I do it not because I'm, you know, feeling sorry for myself in any respect. I do it because I worry about our young kids and social media. And if people are tweeting that kind of crap to me, excuse my French, uh, <laughs> you you got to wonder what our young kids are going through in this day and age where social media has really taken over how they communicate with each other. And I just want to be a voice for these young kids out there that they can speak up and they don't have to be bullied in those situations. And hopefully by speaking up, you can put an end to it. But let me tell you how I speak up and how sometimes it's made a difference. When I get a mean tweet or a mean Facebook post or whatever, I will oftentimes write back so positively And I will say, oh, thank you so much for sharing your views with me. Have a fantastic day. And I have to tell you that in a huge majority of the cases, the people will write me back and say, oh, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. I was just having a bad day. Thank thank you so much for, for being nice to me. So, you know, why do people do that? Because they can. And because in many cases, they're anonymous. And my parents also used to tell me, you know, kill, kill your enemy with kindness. So when I try to do it in that way, and I would encourage other kids to do this as well, maybe it's a way to stop the bullying, even though there's absolutely no excuse for it. Maybe it's a way to get a handle on it and stop it. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of it is the courage of anonymity, you know, of mm-hmm. hiding behind you know, a, a false persona. Right. Um, what's your advice for those who feel they are being bullied behind the curtain of social media? Yeah. Well, first of all, please tell somebody And I can speak with personal um, experience from this because, well, not only my life, but my child has been bullied. And I know how that feels as the parent. You do anything for your kid, right? And the most important thing was that she was coming to my husband and me and telling me about it. And so that that is the number one thing. And it takes a lot of courage for kids sometimes even to tell their own parents. We see these horrific stories in the news where kids actually are driven to suicide And many times, their parents were not even aware of what was going on. So responsibility does fall on the parents to also be monitoring social media for their kids and to know what's going on, but but also to encourage these young people to have the faith to be able to come to some sort of an adult to let them know what's happening. Yeah, I agree. As a a father of two young men, uh, well, young men, one's, you know, getting ready to head into high school and one into middle school. And it is a, it's, it's a, it's a daily challenge to keep in front of that, to make sure that, you know, they do feel safe and that, you know, there aren't receiving inappropriate or sending inappropriate posts, whether they're in jest or not. So I, I totally agree. It's changed so much, Carl, hasn't it? From like, you know, you and I growing up, I mean, it's just, it's night and day. And I think it's one of the greatest challenges of our time, to be honest with you, as parents and as kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. On a lighter note, mm-hmm. I want to know about your most embarrassing moment as Miss America. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were many. Uh, the most. But- 
but, embarrassing. Uh, the, well, the most embarrassing was on a television show called Bloopers and Practical Jokes. Now, some people will remember that. It was I do. Ed, Ed McMahon and Dick Clark, and they would set people up for these stunts, and then it would be broadcast on national TV. Well, two weeks into being Miss America in Denver, Gary Collins and Marianne Mobley, bless both of their souls because they have passed on now, but they had hosted the pageant the year that I won, and they met me in Denver to supposedly introduce this new satellite system to 5,000 engineers in Washington, D.C., and it was dubbed the Miss America. And so while I was getting ready that morning for this broadcast, I kept asking a lot of questions. And I was like, well, I like to be prepared, and I like to know what I'm talking about, and I don't know that much about satellites or being an engineer, so could somebody give me some information? Well, of course, I got none. So I go out on the set, and all of a sudden, Gary gets called out because he has an emergency phone call. And then Marianne gets called out because her microphone doesn't work, and I'm standing on the stage by myself. And the floor director in charge of the TV production, he looks at me and he goes, oh, no. We're going live now to the 5,000 engineers in Washington. You have to do it by yourself in five, four, three. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I just had to start talking and explaining this satellite system in front of me that I knew nothing about. And this went on for 14 long minutes. And I'm thinking in my head, Carl, I'm going to get fired as Miss America, okay? <laughs> this is so embarrassing. And then, of course, at the end, they both come back out on the set, and then it comes over the loudspeaker. Gretchen, you've been on bloopers and practical jokes. <laughs> Interesting enough, and this is so its fascinating, because also in my book I talk about you never know which direction life is going to take you. In this case, I thought, first of all, I'm going to get fired as Miss America. This is going to be so humiliating. You know what ended up happening? That experience got me into television. Because after it aired on national TV, I got a couple calls from TV agents who said, have you ever thought about TV? Because if you can do that, you might be able to do TV. <laughs> and that's really what, what sparked my interest in, in doing television. So talk about going from one extreme to the next, but that had to have been the most embarrassing moment. And for those of us who are old enough to remember the TV show, I would go to YouTube, wonderful source for all these little gags, <laughs> Let's Google it and find it and post it. It's also on my YouTube channel if you would like to go and see it. You're going to save me the hard work to go find it. I'm going to go yeah. right there. You can go to my YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally appreciate you calling this morning. Is there anything you'd like to touch upon that maybe I haven't brought to our listeners' attention? Uh, just that at the end of the book there is, a, well, there are two surprises. I also talk for the very first time about a personal safety issue that was in my life and I've never publicly disclosed that as well. And then at the end of the book, I talk about the emotional relationship that I've had with my violin. And you'll have to read the book to find out whether or not I have actually gone back to it or not. And it is sitting on my desk, the pre-release. So all <laughs> of you that will be reading this, go down to the bookstore and get it. Gretchen, when is the release date of your book? The release date is June 16th, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all kinds of different websites. Uh, so it's available now, but it will be shipped to you on the 16th of June. 16th of June, Getting Real by Gretchen Carlson. Gretchen, I totally, totally appreciate you for calling in this morning and giving me the opportunity. It's such an honor to interview you. Again, you're one of my idols the watch on tv and you do such a great job and i hope that i have lived up to any expectations uh, that i've set for myself today 
You were fantastic, Carl, and thank you so much, and thanks for all the work you do with the magazine as well. Well, thanks so much. And since I have you recorded saying that, I'm going to put that out, that I did such a great job today. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't stammer or have to repeat one question. <laughs> you did great. You weren't nervous, but I was. Oh, well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And let me know if you need anything else. My pleasure. Congratulations on the new book. And again, this will be coming out in the summer edition of Pageantry Magazine. You can listen to Gretchen's entire pageantry podcast, either pageantrymagazine.com or as a free download on iTunes. Gretchen, thank you so much. Thank you, Carl.